What's up and welcome back to Coast to Coast. We are talking on Thursday, day after Celtics get their second win of this NBA Finals. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a little bit of uh, trade rumors. Of course, we haven't even jumped into the offseason yet. We're in the middle of the finals. We're talking that. But first and foremost, Ronan, good to see you, man. How are you? Good man, I'm a little bit tired. Obviously, I had to stay up to watch watch the game last night, but uh, <laughs> I'm I'm doing good and I'm feeling 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 ready to talk. I I told you you got to change your sleep schedule. We've been saying it for months. You got You got to be game prepared, playoff prepared. Nah, you just got to go for it. So when, you, when you're feeling when you're feeling right, you know that's that's what I have to has to be a bit has to be a big commitment. I was just about to go to bed last night, and then the game was just coming on. Let's go. Ah, screw it. I'll stay up, and I'm glad I did now because I enjoyed it. Yeah, that was, I mean, I feel like the game was over in the third quarter and then all of a sudden it turned around. But before I, before I get lost here, uh, we already designated you as our point guard. I haven't determined yet what kind of point guard you are here, but let's, where do we start? You always know where to start. Well, I mean, you mentioned the, the third quarter and that's kind of uh, the big thing to uh, to talk about in this series so far because it seems like, is it the aim of Golden State to just try and destroy Boston in the third quarter and hopefully that's enough to win? Because it's been following that uh, a trend like that. I mean, you look at every game, obviously Boston won two of three so far. Game one, uh, Golden State wins that third quarter, 38-24. Not enough for the win because Boston has that huge fourth quarter. Game two, they have that huge third quarter, 35 to 14 for Golden State, enough to get them the win. Then again, last night, 33 to 25, not as big as, as the other two games, but it was similar. It was the, the only real moment where it looked like Golden State were switching their momentum. They were taking over and they were ready to, to march on and get that W. But in all of those games outside of the third quarter, Boston are dominating. 96 to 70 in game one, 74 to 72 in game two, obviously a bit tighter. And then last night, 91 to 67. Is this just something we're seeing with maybe just the aging squad of Golden State? They cannot compete for 48 minutes against this Boston team. They are outmatched in, in, in not talent wise, but probably phys, physic, physicality wise, and probably with their. Uh, with age and the wear and tear and the bodies of some of their players. And maybe we're seeing that in the, in the way that they're trying to go about winning this each game so far. Yeah, I, I actually made, that was the first thing I, I noticed and I was thinking about, um, and we got to point out in that third quarter yesterday that I've never seen a seven point possession in my life. <laughs> and it, it was just like the, the exact like kind of, collective Celtics groan of, of course, this is happening. And uh, did that, that tie the game or did that, that, got that sent him up one. That got within within two, two, and, then, and then they had another the three. It was a Curry. Three yeah. That, that was yeah. yeah. That, that was just ridiculous. And it was just so, it was so just like that picturesque warriors third quarter and they've been doing it all year. And I, you know, I think that it's a, it's a testament to two things. One is that, they are able, I mean, this is this is a well-seasoned team and Steve Kerr is a fantastic coach and they have a lot of ways to get their offense going. And I think in third quarter, they just, they make adjustments that, you know, it's more than meets the eye. And it's for the casual fan, 
it's not easy to see, but the advantages that they can create in such short spurts. Um, I'd, I'd honestly say that the opposite of that though, is that Curry just, just go supernova in these moments. And I think that this, this is what I want to talk about though, because um, comparing third quarters and fourth quarters, Boston's won every fourth quarter throughout the series. Um, not in such a dramatic fashion that the Warriors have taken away the third quarters, but they really have, I think, locked in defensively. And I think that's the key difference here is that even though Curry's going on these crazy spreads in the third quarter and that starts to get some of the offense going, I, I don't think that the Celtics have allowed it to get out of hand for the most part. And in ways that when the Curry would unlock the Warriors offense against the Mavs, um, you saw it there that things would just fall apart. There just wasn't enough perimeter defense to stay in front and continue rotating. The ball movement would just break them eventually. But here's an in- interesting uh, thing, and I think this ties into this third quarter, fourth quarter difference, is that I think the Celtics have stayed pretty consistent with how they've defended Curry, much to the chagrin of the commentators. Drop coverage, drop coverage, drop coverage. Drop. It, it just continuously is just mentioned and, and griped on. But I, I want to actually think about this differently. So I think this explains the third quarter, fourth quarter difference. I think that the drop coverage, while it's allowing Curry to get his shots, I think that's a huge reason, potentially, why the Celtics defense has been able to maintain consistency and they've been able to shut off a lot of what the Warriors want to do offensively. And in those fourth quarters where you, you just can't squeeze that much more out of Curry. And I think they just add that much more intensity on ball on Curry. And by that time, no one else has been able to get going. They haven't been able to get that free flowing offense. There hasn't been a lot of that. And it's ironic that, you know, they're still allowing Curry to score like crazy. And after that first game, you're like, Oh, okay. Maybe they can't stop him. Cause in that second half, they really put a number on him. But I think the drop coverage has actually been a huge benefit to allowing them to at least control the flow of offense and have the game played on their terms. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like, that's all you can do. I mean, there's no way of just stopping it and completely playing it your own way. The, the Warriors are too good. Steph Curry is too good. They're playing him in arguably one of the most efficient ways it's possible to play against him. He's going to get his points. He's going to do it. It's just a question of not letting them do it the way he did it against yeah. against Dallas, like you said. And it's something that obviously, yeah, they, they, you keep hearing it with the with the commentators and that. But so far, it, it's working, and it's just a question. Tomorrow night, now you're looking: can the Warriors' defense show up a little bit more? Can Draymond Green show up a little bit more? Obviously, his head was completely not in that game last night. Ultimately, fell out didn't look great. He wasn't the, the defensive master lock that he was, especially in that third quarter in game two and has been in general for Golden State. So hopefully he's got that out of his system and he can bounce back for Golden State. But it's it's definitely working for them so far. It's just a question of can 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 Boston keep it up going going this way? Do they need will they have to change it? Will they obviously you know Kerr is going to be able to make adjustments I think Jordan Poole is key for that as well. He needs to get going if the Golden State Warriors are going to win because you can't rely on Wiggins to make shots. 
He's going to make shots generally throughout the game, but you can't be relying on him to step up and make buckets. I mean, we saw last night, I think he had, he went the one of six from three, and I'm pretty sure the only one that he made was the one that was actually well contested. The rest of them were quite wide open and he missed them all. So it's those kind of small moments where you just think, that's why he's not the, the splash bro. He's still doing great things. He's going to score generally in the offense and he's going to be a great defender. But you can't rely on him. You need Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole scored 17 points that game to win. They need him averaging around that for the rest of this series if they're going to push it long or, or even win it. Yeah, I, I think the I think this goes both both those things that you just said about Green's ineffectiveness and Poole's ineffectiveness. And if Celtics can keep it up, I, I think it actually it I'll bet that if you have someone smarter than me look at the tape that the drop coverage has a lot to do with it also because green I mean, you can't get him going offensively i mean offensively he's a hub i mean he's a fantastic hub especially in the short roll that's where things get dangerous is you want to press up on curry you want to prevent him from getting an open shot because obviously you don't want to get a superstar going so that leaves draymond open to slip screens that leaves him open to dive to the rim and then as soon as he's there in the middle of the floor that's where the warriors offense can get going finds the open guy, finds the lob, attacks the paint. But you don't have that in the drop right now. You don't have him being an offensive hub with Al Horford manning the drop, with Robert Williams manning the drop. And for this is interesting because like it's such a good switching defense. The Celtics are elite as a switching defense. And they've done that at times. And I think they leaned too much into that in game two to stop Curry. Um, a, lot of, a lot of that switching hurt Curry in the first game where they really held him um, in the second half. But overplaying that hand, I think, in game two is what forced um, a lot of offense elsewhere. And that's where other players are getting hot. There's so much space. How effective is Al Horford on the perimeter? And you saw it. He was getting cooked by Curry. He's a great, he's a great um, you know, defender on the perimeter for his size, but he's not that good. And Poole even was able to get hot as he's getting switched on to bigger guys as well. This is not something that they're allowing right now. And I think Poole is not comfortable um, with the defender right on his hip because White can get over screens really well. Smart can get over screens really well. Brown at times can navigate that. And their perimeter defenders have done a great job to at least make them feel the pressure. Curry and Thompson are just two of two in this league that, you know, even if you're getting over and you're in their airspace, unless you're blocking that shot, if they have their eyes locked on the rim and they have their, like, they're just going to make those shots. And Clay actually he got going in this game, but clearly that's that's part of what the Celtics are willing to give up because they've been giving him a lot of those looks throughout the series, and it just happened to work out here. But I think Poole, Green, Porter, I mean, any of these guys, Gary Payton Jr. did look confident to, to shoot a three, and they were forcing him. If he's going to take a shot, you take it above the break, that's fine. They'll live with that. It didn't look comfortable at all. So the Warriors are going to have to adjust big time, big time. Because the Celtics, I think they have their they have their recipe here. They have the recipe to basically they're, they're going to be comfortable giving up shots to Curry. If Curry drops 50 and beats them, they're going to be like, okay, good job. Can you do it again? And is it going to come to that? I, I don't know. I, I, I'm looking at this Warriors roster and – after our la- my last podcast, we were like, okay, maybe Kaminga's an option. Maybe you can 
throw in something else, but no, they're not going to throw in a lot of different looks. Um, Nemanja Belica had more minutes than he did already throughout the series. And are, are there any other buttons that they can press here to specifically attack the Celtics and what they've determined to be their best course of action to beat the Warriors as a team, not Curry. Let, let Curry win as an individual, but they're beating the Warriors as a team. Yeah, that's always something. That's always the, that's one of the great things about this Warriors team is it's not always been – obviously, they've had individual talent, but it's always been about the overall team and the impact of the mm-hmm. whole team and how good the team has been. So it's it's kind of interesting to see how they're getting played at this moment and whether they're going to be able to make the adjustments. It's it's kind of it is an interesting one here. Now Boston are really they're really looking good, but you also just you you still think can experience still still take take its place in this in like in the finals? We obviously know Boston ain't got no no finals experience hasn't really impacted them as of yet, but. You look at tomorrow, I think tomorrow could be a game changer. They There's a huge difference between Boston being up 3-1 and it being 2-2 heading back to back to uh, San Francisco. So I think Boston really, really need to be clued in. They need to play exactly the same way that they did in game three and just make sure there's no, there's not, they don't have the stagnating offense that they, uh, that uh, occurred in a, uh, in game two, because they need, they need consistency. They need the, the keys of the X factors we talked about before the playmaking of Jason Tatum and the scoring of the non-stars scoring of Horford, smart white. When they're contributing good, solid points each and Tatum is playmaking. That's a recipe for success for this Boston team. I mean, Tatum's averaging 11 assists a game in the two wins, and he has just two turnovers in each of the games. In that game, too, he wasn't really playmaking the same way, and he had four turnovers. So when he's clued in and he's making the big plays, that's why that's where we see the difference between him and Brown. Tatum's making big plays with both his playmaking and his big shots. He's not having the maybe electrifying scoring moments, but he's making the big-time plays. I gotta ask about Brown though. Is this a is this a tactic that Boston are trying to play? I mean, last night he starts quarter number one. He goes six of nine from the field. For the rest of the game, he's three of seven. I mean, was it just like they just want to go to him in the first quarter, and then they're like, right, we're not going to you anymore. We're just gonna we're gonna try to play some some other way, or is that more the adjustment from from Golden State? It's weird to think he could have that such a hard hot start. And then not even shoot another nine shots for the rest of the game. Yeah, it, it's it's becoming a pattern. Um, and I think when we've seen Brown get get hot, he can get really hot. And I think that's that's his perfect role is when he's just looking for a shot. And I think to his credit, he did he played this game efficiently over the course of over the course of the game. You look back at, at the whole product. He had an efficient night, nine of sixteen, shot fifty percent from three. He had five, six on the line. That's huge for him to finally put together a string of good uh, uh, shots at the stripe. And he had, he had five assists. He had five assists. And you saw also a lot of times he would he would think a little bit before he's just going to pick up the ball and shoot. I think he was looking to work within the flow of the offense. And I think that the Celtics, 
in, in first quarters. I mean, first quarters have been so important for them throughout the playoffs where they're going to lose it big or, or win it big. And I, I feel like Brown is a perfect, a perfect guy to get them going. Like they just need something to get the offensive going, get, get some shots in and force at least the, the Warriors to, to press on him a bit. But yeah, it's, it's, it is weird that he doesn't, he hasn't maintained it over the course of the game, but you know what he did maintain. And I guess it's just defense, 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 this whole yeah. uh, championship, but dude, the possessions he had against Clay Thompson and look at Clay Thompson's stats. Fine. I mean, a lot of that is, is happening off ball, running off screens. And sometimes what can you do about that? But on ball, I mean, Clay's got nothing. Brown is just the superior athlete, mm-hmm. just sticking with him when, when, Curry's sitting and you got to, you know, play through somebody else and the ball's getting to clay and clay wants to score. Brown's not letting him score off the dribble. I've not looked at the tracking data yet, but I mean, clay has got to be shooting an abysmal off the dribble uh, percentage, especially against Brown. And that, that possession where you just chase him all around the court and then ended up with the block across his body. And he almost, he almost had that block on pool too. If he just didn't grab his jersey, he was still going to get up and, and get him, But but that's that's the thing I, I'm impressed by that because these two stars have found ways to be effective when their shot isn't falling. So the rest of the game, you know, like you said, he's only hitting three shots, but that defense was there, and being a potent part of an egalitarian offense because at times the Celtics when they're moving the ball, it's great. He's a part of that. So I, I think you know to their credit, they've done things at star levels, Jalen and Jason, at star levels outside of just scoring. And that's impressive. I think for the two guys, you said experience, two guys who haven't been here before to lean in on other things. Like this is just a beginning. Yeah. Yeah. One credit to their scoring is uh, Brown and Tatum have now combined for over a thousand points in these playoffs. The first wow. duo, the first duo under 25 to do that since can you, can you guess who? Jack and Kobe. No, under, no, 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 no. Under 25. Under 25. I don't think it wouldn't be MJ and Pippen. It would be more uh recent. more recent. Would it be I thought Clay and Steph were a little older when they're getting there. Is it Clay and Steph? Mm-hmm. Gotta have me think about this a bit. One finals, one finals appearance, zero championships together. One finals appearance, zero championships together. Blow my mind. KD and Russell Westbrook. Oh my God, that's so obvious. That that's so obvious. Okay, I should have got that. You always get me with these quizzes, man. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> but what about they had their third star tonight, though? I I feel like when Marcus Smart is scoring the basketball efficiently, and like plays like this, like. The Celtics can't lose when, when they have him as an offensive weapon. You can talk all day about what he does defensively. That's that's just obvious now. But um, we got to give him credit for what he did, putting pressure on Curry. I mean, posting up Curry, you got a couple of lobs there. Um, one, of, one of them did go for a turnover. But just having that pressure, posting up early, attacking him, just getting into his chest. Marcus Smart was using his athleticism to huge advantage, and he played efficiently. I mean – I, I did not have Marcus Smart scoring 20-plus points on a bingo card that night, and for him to be also facilitating at the wings, 
he's such, such, such an important part of their offense. And it's just like a cherry on top for him to score like that. Cause you wonder where, where is the scoring going to come from? If, if Jalen Brown's not going to be efficient, Jason Tatum's not going to be efficient. I mean, smart's been a huge answer and I, I bet, you know, Celtics fans got to be happy about it after what, six months, not even six months ago, four months ago, they're wondering if they should trade him or not. Um, it was awesome. It was great to see. And it was the the aggressive nature, which with what he, how he was scoring, wasn't just him getting lucky with a few threes, although he did hit a couple of big threes as well. It was the aggressive at the rim plays that he was making. Obviously him Brown, him Brown and uh, Tatum last night, first trio to have have 20 plus points, five plus uh, rebounds, five plus assists since, uh, Magic Kareem and uh, Michael Cooper way back at night in the 1984 final. <laughs> you love it. You'll love that. I love that. Can I give one last stat before we move on? Hit me. Robert Williams in only 25 minutes. I mean, guy, guy just doesn't look right. But in 25 minutes, he was a game high plus 21 and four blocks, 10 rebounds. And it, he's not even healthy. Dude was such a massive part of uh, why the Warriors could not score inside. And this ties into last thing. You got to talk about the rebounds and point discrepancy. Because of plays like that, because of contributions from Robert Williams, the Celtics had 15 offensive rebounds. They out-rebounded 47 to 31 overall. I mean, this added up to, they grabbed back 40.8% of their misses. They had a game high 22 second chance points. That is something that they're finally making their size be a factor. Marcus Smart, his size, Horford and Williams, his size, their wings, their size. They are bigger across the board than the Warriors, and they really made a show here. And look in game two, Golden State scored 40 to 24 in the paint. Golden State wins. Game three, Boston scores 52 to 26 in the paint. I think we have a pattern here, and I think that Boston's going to be much more that effort, that physicality, that size, much more rec- replicable for them. I think Boston wins tomorrow. I think that's a series right there. Yeah, yeah, I 100% agree. And one thing I will say on Robert Williams is he's, he's clearly not right, but I'm just loving what I'm seeing him, the effort level, the grit, the grind to, to keep on going. And he's showing everyone – why he has such a bright future in this league and why he's definitely going to be a guy who's contributing on contenders for his whole career because he has that drive and that commitment to win. And I'm sure Boston fans will be hoping it'll always be in Boston. Yep. So we'll move on to a slightly similar guy. Another A big dog. We're talking trade, bit of trade talk. I mean, we're starting to hear the rumors and we're almost done with the... Uh, is that a the dance? Season, so. The trade trade season's already got you dancing? Yeah. <laughs> like well, it's going to have you dancing maybe too, you know? I don't know if I'm dancing. All right, well, well let's, let's, just, let's just get right to it. Rudy Gobert to Chicago, question mark, question mark, question mark. I mean, a lot of rumors there. Let me, let me just say this, first and foremost. Bulls management, Arturis Karnaschovas, and Mark Eversley, they do not leak stuff except for Lonzo Ball. The only other time that they were able to be telegraphed and you knew what they were going to do is with Lonzo Ball. When it was clear that Lonzo wasn't going to be back in New Orleans, the Bulls tried to get him. 
didn't quite work out, but I mean, that was their guy and they clearly, they got him. So I don't know what this is. Is, is this 90% of, of all the rumors about the bulls? And it's like, okay, this is clearly from other organizations or is this that 1%? Is this that Lonzo ball kind of league where bulls are making calls and they are interested in Rudy and let's just pretend that's what it is. And Rudy Gobert to the bulls. I know how I feel about it now. I kind of know, but outside of Chicago, your objective take Rudy goes to Chicago, say for Pat Williams, Vooch, one of our rotation guys, where does that put the bulls for you? I think it has a ginormous impact on the bulls. Uh, the, the defense is where they need to have the most improvement and Rudy Gobert is uh is, is is okay in that department, you know. I think he's an all right defender. He so might be three time defensive player of the year, yeah. future yeah. Hall of Famer uh, just on his defense alone. Yeah. Re- rebound the machine, loves a loves a block. He can make such a big difference this team, and also he can still contribute a similar sort of scoring level to Vooch. Obviously, he's not gonna have the three point shot that Vooch can have, but it points wise, he still can contribute a similar point style. It's just a question of is there any way to get this deal done without giving up Patrick Williams? No, nope. And that's, 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 reality. that's the one. That's reality. It's, it's worth it. it. It probably will be worth it in the end, but it's a big call to make because Patrick Williams could really be a huge player in the NBA. Could, could that's the end. That's, that's what I think this is a big lesson for not just the bulls, but for any team is that there's so many prospects in this league. And their value is only as big as it can be when that's a question mark. Pat Williams right now is a big question mark. And internally, I think you might, like an organization might know how good he can be. Maybe they see his work ethic. Maybe they see how he is. He just needs confidence. But not everybody knows that. So, like, you, I think the value that the Bulls organization have for him right now might be higher than it actually is. But the value for Gobert right now is as low as it could possibly be. And we just mentioned he's a three-time defensive player of the year. You want to talk all the corny screen assist stuff that he's led in that category for the past five years, what he's done as a rim runner. I mean, this guy is just undeniably, for what he does, the best in the league at it, as a drop coverage defender, as a rim protector, as a rim runner. I mean, he – you talk about, like, Mitchell Mitchell, uh, Robinson, talk about some of these other prospects. I mean – they don't compare to what Rudy does. I mean, he is the pinnacle of that. And to add that to this team, yeah, the Bulls need defense. Absolutely. They, they, they sunk to middle of the pack after an entire year. They need rebounding for sure. But in the half, first half of the season, they're a top five defense. When Caruso is healthy, when Lonzo is healthy, they're a top five defense. You add Gobert to that, that's a bona fide number one defense. I think you can confidently say, Figure out what happens offensively, but defensively, you are the best defense in the league. And if you trade Vooch and you trade Pat, you trade Pat for that. I mean, that's really what it is. You're happy to trade Vooch for for Gobert, but Patrick Williams is an idea. Does he become Kawhi Leonard? Well, like, what's the percent chance he becomes Kawhi Leonard? Because that's what we're talking about here. That that's where the disappointment would set in if Patrick Williams becomes a a two way star. That would suck. It would. But you know what else would suck? If you have DeMar DeRozan, who's having a moment in his career where he was a legitimate MVP contender, you have Zach Levine, who's about to get on a max contract in the height of his 
potential. And you have Lonzo Ball, who, who knows if he's going to continue to be healthy. Alex Caruso looks good still. And you have a lot of question marks on this team, You a lot of holes to fill. Do you just give up on this team just for Pat Williams' future? I think the answer to that just logically has to be no. If that deal is on the table, I think for Zach Levine, for DeMar DeRozan, for a chance at a title, you have to try your best to do it. You don't more, you don't mortgage your future, but I think that gives you a chance. If you're the best defense in the league and you got isolation scores, you have an offensive minded coach. There is a way, there is a formula to do it. I think, I think they would have to do it. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. I think it, it's definitely worth the chance at this moment. Is there more of a chance of Gobert coming in and improving the Bulls chances of winning a title 100%. or, of Patrick Williams becoming a Kawhi level, Kawhi Leonard yeah, level player. Exactly. I mean, it's it's just as simple as that. But I guess it's not the worst uh, thought to have in the back of your mind. Say if you could keep Patrick Williams and maybe get Mitchell Robinson. Obviously, his health is a huge factor, but he is a, a reasonable, cheap option for some teams. Obviously, do you think gonna, do you think you would sign an MLE? Well, do you think you would sign an MLE like a six million dollar contract? Hmm. Probably not because I'd say New York will probably offer him more. But even if you, even if it was like, even for other teams, I think he's the, I think teams that want a big, want some defense are looking at Gobert because I think Utah's probably going to be willing to listen to offers at least. But I think it's nice to know that a guy like Robinson is kind of the cheaper option, option there if, if needs be. But yeah, sticking with Gobert, I think I think it's it's pretty simple. If that deal is on the table and can be made, it, it's not completely mortgaging your future, and it's going to improve the team a lot in the next uh, in the next year or two. And that's what they have to do. They've they've made that deal last year with uh, getting DeRozan in, and uh, probably the 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 window is a bit shorter for him. But obviously, you still got the young guys like Lonzo and. Uh, and Levine too, but DeRozan is a big part of this, and you got to give them the best opportunity to to lead a team to being to being more competitive than they were this year. Yeah, and just look, look at what Gobert would do in the East. I mean, Giannis and Embiid absolutely decimated the Bulls. I mean, the Bulls have great; they had great perimeter defense, but they just couldn't couldn't manage that. Gobert gives you an answer for that. Mm-hmm. Gobert gives you a answer for the bigs and the interior presences of this league that you wouldn't have otherwise. I mean, he's, he's himself. Feel like anything about this, Gobert by himself. Because the Jazz suck defensively. They're bad. Without Gobert, they're bad. It's well-documented. Rudy Gobert is literally by himself an entire defensive system. Makes them a good defense. And this is the kind of guy that right now is being floated around for subpar deals. So I... I don't think the Bulls are going to be the only team in the running. Who knows if the market starts to heat up, especially if the Jazz start to blow things up. Obviously, we didn't mention that Quinn Snyder is no longer going to be the coach of the Utah Jazz. So many questions for that team. That, that'll be for a future pod. Um, but I think last last little tidbit here is things are starting to heat up for the Detroit Pistons. They obviously have a top pick in this year's draft and sights on DeAndre Ayton. Potentially, 
DeAndre Ayton has a lot of questions swirling around his future with the Suns that apparently, according to good sources, is tenuous at best. It's not a given that he's going to continue to be with the Suns organization as illustrated by the final conversations they've had with the Suns, with Ayton, with their coaching staff. What does that look like in the Ayton, Cade Cunningham pairing in Detroit if they get a Jalen Smith in there, oh, not not a Jalen Smith, uh, <laughs> a Jabari Smith, that that's becoming a burgeoning young squad. I, I don't know what they're gonna do. I, I think Aiton's just illustrative of, of their ambition for this offseason because you also see that they're connected to the Hawks and the Blazers trying to move off of Grant. But look out for the Pistons, man. I, I think they're gonna make a lot of big moves to continue this youth movement and to continue to add talent to a team that's featuring a guy like Cade, who, man, look at what the, what Jason Tatum is doing, bringing the Celtics here. I think Cade Cunningham's of a similar elk and Pistons, who knows when they pop, but if they continue building this, I'm excited. Well, yeah, not as a Bulls fan, I'm not yeah. excited, but. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're, they're, they know, they know what they're either. I think they're ready to, to commit to a big move. Obviously it's, they're going to be looking for a young guy like, like Aiden. I think we're going to see Grant move where that, that's been on the cards for what, probably about a year now. We've known that uh, Jeremy Grant was going to be, uh, was going to be leaving Detroit. I think Aiden's going to be their main target, but there's going to be a lot of different teams that are in for him, but. This Detroit team, there's there's talent there. They've got a potential superstar in Cade. And if they are able to add a guy like DeAndre Ayton in there, that's a that's a real shakeup for this team. And that could accelerate uh, the rise the rise of the Eastern Conference. Do you think Ayton uh, you know I'll end on this, but do you think Ayton still has like star potential? Because I think right now, like on, on the as he's featured with the Suns. He's a good, he's like as good as you can get for a center without being like considered a star, being considered an all-star. He's, he's a sub yeah, like He's not going to be Jokic and Bede sort of level, I don't think, but he's definitely going to be a guy who can absolutely be a 20 and 10 player, a good defender, and uh, a, a really good offensive player as well. I think like a Jokic level or not Jokic, a, a Vucevic level type player. Maybe that's his his ceiling. Yeah, just had a better Two, defender. Three-time All-Star type of deal. I, I, I just want, I'm curious because it feels like, you know, he has such good touch around the rim. So I mean, there's, he could definitely he can take improve. more. He's going to improve. He's yeah. going to get better, especially if he gets to go to an environment like like Detroit, I think that could be really good for him. I think a change of scenery for him might not be the worst thing in the world. I think it, in, in his head, I think he, I think the agent has come out and said he, he felt a bit disrespected when they didn't pay him last year. So I think maybe he's, he's going to be looking, like you said, I think it's coming out from good sources that it's probably more likely than not that he leaves Phoenix this summer. And that could be the best thing for his career. And that could really help him develop into the star that Phoenix thought they were getting when they drafted him number one. Yeah. <laughs> you always, this is a lot, I promise the last thing, but you always hear weird, funny, random stories about players when it comes times like this, like times to sign contracts and times to evaluate uh, guys going from rookie scale to 
uh, max scale veteran contracts. But well, one of the things that is being noted that Aiton does is that he like plays video games all night or something. So they were they're questioning whether he was like fully rested and, and really taking advantage of his potential. And like you only hear that right when, when it comes time to to talk contract and it comes time to talk commitment to teams and I just thought that was that was funny like that that's what we're that's what we're worried about is how how many how much video games how much time does Aiden spend playing video games is he really going to reach his potential but and hey maybe that's maybe that's part of what it is that's part of what it is but at any rate everything's really starting to, to heat up um you haven't even seen the end of the finals um what, what's what's your prediction for Friday before we go because I already gave mine not letting you get away with that. I, know. I, I, I believe the Boston can can maintain their game plan and get the get another win at home. I think they think they're going to be able to do. It. I think their game plan is is a lot more probable to to remain consistent than uh, than what the Warriors has been so far. So I'm backing them to to be up three one uh, by what about half four in the morning uh, on Saturday over here. Jeez. You listen, you're you're uh Celtics in six. That might be uh that might have been the right take, but only time will tell. Only time, but I'm right. Let's do it. <laughs> Everybody, thanks for joining us for another episode. We will see you shortly. Hope everyone has a great rest of their week. Run my guy. I'll talk to you later. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Coast to Coast. Don't forget to hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at Coast to Coast NBA Podcast to hear your takes discussed right here on the show. And remember, take every shot and love every moment.